0: Pastor here at Holy Cross, and uh, hey, today's a special Sunday. It's a really special Sunday. It, it marks the beginning of an era in the life of our church when Pastor Jake is the lead pastor of Holy Cross. That's a big deal, um, and we're really glad his family can be here to. to join in a little bit of the celebration. So just a reminder again, if you weren't here for the announcements, uh, we're gonna have a little, um, uh, like a a luncheon type thing afterwards. So please stick around, uh, say hi to Jake and his family, especially his parents, and uh, just enter into this season of celebration with us. It's important, it's important for us as human beings. When God gives us seasons, to celebrate them, to mark them, and to do them well. And so this is a big Sunday for our church family. So uh, we'd love to have you uh, stick around and uh, take part in this celebration with us, okay? That does mean, starting next week, we're gonna hear weekly from Pastor Jake, which means we're wrapping up Colossians this Sunday. Um, This little... This, this sermon series and this little book that has exalted Jesus first only and always. It's this, this letter that was written to this group of Christians in a, in a struggling, dying city in what is modern-day Turkey. So if you've got your Bibles, uh, please turn to it, to, uh, turn in them to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read verses 18 through the first verse of chapter 4. Uh, it's printed in your bulletins if you need, or else it's projecting on the screen behind me. Hey, as, as we've worked through this letter, this letter that exalts Jesus first Jesus only, Jesus always, I hope that you have been struck with the beauty of King Jesus and the glory of everything that he has done for his people, right? And, and if you're a Christian here today, I want to ask you some questions before we dig into our passage, okay? So take these in, and, and, and ruminate on them. Do you believe our God is who he says he is in this little letter? Do you believe the Lord God is not just the maker, but your maker, the one who made you? Do you believe that he is the wise designer, that he knows how life works best because he designed it to work that way? Do you believe that his ways are good because he is good and that because he is good, he wants your good? Do you believe that what he reveals to you in his word, he does so because he, he wants you to thrive? hey, if, if you're not a Christian today, we totally get if you don't believe that stuff. It's okay. My, my hope is, uh, so th- this sermon is gonna be heavily directed toward Christians, but my hope is that in our time together, and we hope you keep coming back and, and hanging out with us, I hope that in our time together, you will come to trust this God as you see him infinitely trustworthy, right? But, but if you are a Christian here today, let me just say, this kind of trust is a huge part of being a Christian, right? It, it, trusting the Lord's good character, trusting uh, that his ways are good and that his desires for us are good. Here's why this is a big deal, right? This kind of trust matters most when we're about to read passages like the one that we have today. Passages that may cut against our independence, passages that may make us feel like, well, that's not how I would do things. So you gotta lean into trust, Right? you got to lean into trust. Here's my challenge for us, okay, if we're Christians. Let God speak. Let the Lord speak, okay? Dare to trust the king's ways. The ways that may run counter to how we grew up. Ways that may, you know, rankle us a little bit. Be hard for us. Dare to trust his ways and lean into them in faith, right? And see... If his ways don't once more prove to be better than our ways, higher than our ways, glorious and for our good. All right, so all that with context. Would you please stand if you're able and willing Uh, out of respect as we read the word of the Lord together. Colossians chapter three, starting in verse 18 through the first verse of chapter four. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong that he has done and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Friend, this is the true word of the living God. Every single word of it is given to you because he loves you, and seeks your thriving. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, uh, we come now before you to be shaped and molded. Lord, I, I pray that at the end of our time together, we would see you as glorious, and we would see your ways as good. Even if maybe initially they rub us wrong. We are here to submit to you. You are our God, you are our King. So would you speak to us now and shape our hearts, shape our lives for your glory and our good. We ask these things, amen. Hey, grab a seat. All right, hey, you probably don't need me to outline this passage for you. It's it's fairly straightforward. It describes the three primary relationships uh, that would have been uh, in the typical household in Paul's day, right? It's so the relationship between wives and husbands. See that in uh, verses 18 through 19. The relationship between children and parents, verses 20 to 21. Slaves and masters, chapter three, verse 21 through the end of our passage. Okay, so the these three sets of relationships are going to be our points for today. Hey. Just a couple words before we get in. Pastors preach multiple sermons on all these different relationships. So that said, um, we are probably not going to cover everything that could be said, let alone maybe should be said, okay? But here's what I hope. By the end of our 30 minutes together, I hope you'll come away with these two big takeaways. The beauty of the king's ways for families that claim him as their Lord. And then second the beauty of a king who models everything that he commands. All right, so let's, let's just do it. Let's dive in with the hard stuff and talk about wives and husbands, okay? So uh, two things we need to note before we, uh, uh, as we're talking about wives, two things we need to note before we get to the uh, S word in verse 18. All right, first. Hey, if you had been a Colossian woman listening to this letter when it was first read, you would have been surprised that Paul actually addresses wives in his letter to begin with. And second, it would have floored you that of all the people in the household, God talks to you first. Paul talks to you first. Here's why. Because in the patriarchal culture of of Paul's day, important people like Paul, they didn't talk. Like, they didn't have the time of day for wives. In fact, in the families, uh, believe it or not, like, wives often ranked below even the kids. Okay, So Paul's not just addressing wives. He's addressing them first, and what is he doing? He's being countercultural. He's saying, hey, in the family where Jesus is king, y'all matter. Y'all matter. So maybe your culture ranks you as the lowest of the low, but in King Jesus's way, the first will be last, and the last will be first. That's how he does things. All right, then he calls wives to submit, and I know I know that word can ruffle some feathers, but here's what I want you to say, right? Like, I want you to notice. Notice that Paul doesn't call wives to obey as he does children and slaves. Now, you might think, well, that doesn't seem like much. But here's the thing. In the literature of that day, when it did address wives, that's exactly what they told them to do. They were told to obey their husbands, just like children and slaves were, all right? So if the call to submit makes you uncomfortable as a wife, um, just imagine what women were used to hearing back in that day. Imagine that. And you see what, what Paul and King Jesus are doing is they are dignifying women. They're not talking down to them. They're doing something very different from what folks in their culture would have done. All right, so let's, uh, let's talk about the actual command now to submit. Right. So first, it's a verb. It's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command, which means it's not a suggestion. Jesus himself says, hey, this is his way for wives who are living in his families, All right, this this doesn't come across as well in in our English Standard Version, which is the version that most of our, uh, that that our church tends to use, but uh, this verb is also in the middle voice. So in Greek, we don't have that in English, but in Greek, uh, that's the voice that you use when you're the one who's acting and also sort of like experiencing the action, right? Here's why this matters. Uh, The better way maybe to understand this verse or this verb would be to say submit to yourselves. Here's why. Because in choosing this action, you're not only obeying what the king has commanded you, but you're willingly taking on for yourself his charge. This is something you are doing and choosing to do, okay? All right, so let's talk about the word submit itself. In Greek, it has this idea of, of living into the order that God has created. See, um, the Lord who made this universe made it in good order. He not only just crafted it, he, had, he has his way that it is supposed to rightly run. And so submission, for anything, for any of us, means to place ourselves within the order that King Jesus has made. And y'all, that takes trust. Any kind of submission, any kind of obedience to the Lord, that takes trust. Trust in the good king. right? And the king is determined that in his order, husbands are called to headship and leadership in their families. You see that all over scripture. I'm just going to throw a few verses out there, so if you want to write these down, uh, you are got a heads up now. Genesis 2, verse 18, First Corinthians 11, 2-3, Ephesians 5, 25-33, 1 Timothy 2, 12, 13, 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 and 4. All right, so those are just a handful of verses in the theme of leadership that God has called uh, husbands to in their families. Now, that leadership is servant leadership. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, okay? Um, but it's still leadership. And as any of us may know, there are two things that are tough about this. It is, it's hard to lead when those who you are leading are refusing to be led. And the second thing is it's just hard to be led. Right? It's hard to be led, and King Jesus knows that. He knows both of those things, which is why the one command that he gives to wives is to submit themselves to the order that He has created, to trust him. Right? He gets it's a hard thing. All right, look, we don't have a lot of time to get into all the nuances about what it does and doesn't mean to submit. Um, but I want to offer this to you your session is very happy to talk to you if you want to figure out, okay, well, what does this actually look like, okay? Just know, in addition, your session is here to, to guard our families, right, against the abuses that come when husbands do misuse their authority, because that does happen. It does. And the reason God gives churches sessions is so that we can help ensure that family is happening in the king's way and people aren't running amok, Right? So um, talk to your session. We'd love to, to help walk you through this, but here's what I think is more important for you to hear right now if you're a wife. The king isn't commanding you to do anything less than he himself has already done, right? The king isn't commanding you to do anything less than he himself has already done. King Jesus, King Jesus knows the burden of submission. He knows what it 's like to place himself in the right order that his father has created in the good, to willingly surrender rights he could have claimed to as Paul says in, in Philippians chapter two, to not just submit but to take on the very form of a servant and to choose obedience to the point of death. He knows what it 's like to lean into trust, to trust his father 's goodness even when he had the most reason to doubt that and and to say, not my will, but yours, when he saw the cross was looming. Hey, wives, you will never have to submit to the level that King Jesus submitted, right? And and here's what you may say. I don't think my husband deserves that kind of leadership. I don't think that he uh, deserves that kind of submission from me. You want to go to the truth? He probably doesn't really. He probably doesn't. But you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for King Jesus. You are submitting because of King Jesus. In choosing submission, uh, you not only show that you trust the king's goodness and, and the way that he has ordered his families to be, you also model Jesus before a world that could, like, Submission is the furthest thing from our, people would be like, I don't understand why you're doing this, but you choose it. You choose it because King Jesus himself chose submission and and he calls you into imitating his ways and showing that to the world, okay? All right, so that's wives, that's submission, that's, that's tricky, I know it's hard. We're gonna shift and talk about husbands, verse 19, right? And boy, husbands got it easy after a uh, call to submit, right? I mean, love, don't be harsh, how does that com- compare with the command to submit? All uh, right, well, let's, let's dig in, okay? What does Paul mean when he says love? What does he mean by that? Because, again, love isn't just like beaming these warm, fuzzy feelings at your, or at your spouse, Love looks like everything that Paul had just finished describing in the first half of chapter 3, so you can go back and read that or uh, listen to last week's sermon on this. Um, And who is Paul's ultimate model for what love looks like? It's King Jesus. It's King Jesus, right? Uh, He writes another letter to a church in Ephesus, and in that letter, he explicitly draws the parallel between how Jesus loves his bride and how husbands are called to love their brides. Um, And so now... It's a legitimate question you can ask, right? Who's got the tougher assignment? Submit like Jesus or love like Jesus? It's both tough. It's both hard. All right, so what does it look like for a husband to love his wife the way Jesus loves his bride? Fellas, buckle up. All right, according to Ephesians 5, it looks like using your leadership in your family to give yourself for the good of your bride. Your aim in life becomes desiring to see her become more and more like Jesus, more and more free from those sin habits that weigh her down, more and more rooted in God's word. Your life becomes about nourishing and cherishing your woman, caring for her as you would care for yourself. It's about giving yourself in wholehearted loyalty to her so that nothing gets between you and the woman that God made one flesh with you. It looks like doing all of that, no matter how she responds to you. Or if you think that she's deserving of that kind of sacrificial love. See, you're called to move toward her even when she's moving away from you. And you want to know why? Because that's how King Jesus loves you. That is how King Jesus, friends, think about it. How many times has Jesus had to chase you down? How many times, uh, how, how faithful has he been to you when we, when we have flirted with sin and looked to satisfy our needs elsewhere? How, how tender is he with our failings? Look, is, is he in this relationship to meet his needs, to meet ours? Does he wait for us to show him love before he shows us love? Is there anything that he has held back for himself, anything he hasn't laid on the line because of his love? For you. Hey, husbands, I get it. You may think, I don't know that my wife deserves that kind of love. She probably doesn't, right? Keeping with our theme, she probably doesn't, right? Neither do you. Neither do you. But King Jesus showers you with this kind of love. He, he moves towards you with this kind of love, and he calls you to follow his ways and to mirror this kind of love to your bride. And guess what? While this doesn't necessarily always happen, often someone who has been loved with this kind of love becomes lovelier and responds in kind. Just like Jesus' bride, being loved that way when we didn't love him, we respond in kind. We are shaped and molded by that. All right, hey, look, these are tall orders. And we haven't even begun to scratch the surface on what all of this stuff means. Um, But wives, husbands, give the king's ways a shot. See if they aren't better than the way that maybe you're doing life right now. Lean and trust into his ways, knowing that like what your king commands you, it's not only good for you, he also models it for you and gloriously he empowers it in you. He enables you to do this stuff that you and me in our own flesh, we could never be this kind of person, right? So lean into trust in him. All right, hey, that, that was the longest point, um, but just given the demographic in our church, I think that's probably the most important one. So the, the next ones are successively shorter. So let's dive into children and parents versus 20, 21. Everyone take a deep breath. We can, we can do this. All right, hey, kids, I'm going to talk to you first. What, what would it have been like for you to get a letter from the great apostle Paul himself? He's written to you. See, that's what the kids in Colossae got. And Paul not only thought it was, uh, they were worth mentioning in verse 20, he actually says King Jesus has a mission for kids too, a way that, a way that you all get to imitate him, to, to follow his ways and help people see him. And how do you get to do this? Guess what? It's tough. By obeying your parents. By obeying your parents. All right, why? Uh, Let me just say it first. If you're a Christian kid in this room today, uh, here's what your king wants you to hear King Jesus wants you to obey completely. You don't get to pick and choose what you will and won't obey your parents in. Uh, If what your parent is telling you is not in contradiction to what King Jesus is saying, then, as our passage says, you obey in everything, right? Here's why, though. Because that's how King Jesus obeys his heavenly father, his father God, right? He he obeyed even when it was hard. And remember this, okay? Um, Jesus doesn't ask you to do anything he himself hasn't already done and also done for you. So by trusting your parents and, and choosing to obey them, You are ultimately showing that you trust God who put you under the care of your parents. And you're ultimately obeying him. See, uh, that's why verse 20 says, um, this kind of obedience pleases the king. You know that feeling that you get when you can tell your parents are proud of you? When you feel their smile on you, like you can just tell, Mom and dad, like, in this moment, I'm, I'm, this, this is great. They are proud of me. Friend, like, kids, that's how King Jesus feels about you. That's how King Jesus feels about you, particularly when you choose to do something hard and obey your parents. Because you know that by obeying them, you're actually ultimately obeying King Jesus. All right. That's kids, parents, let's talk to us. We know this, bear saying again, King Jesus cares how we treat our kids, right? Here's why. Because he loves your kids even more than you do. And because ultimately your kids don't belong to you. They belong to him. They are his kids, okay? Okay. Um, and we know this, but we can all use the reminder in verse 21, right? Uh, fathers, do not provoke your children unless they become discouraged. Hey, maybe you don't remember this from your own childhood. Um, it is tough being a kid. I encourage you to regularly think back on it. It is tough being a kid because you're so completely dependent on your parent. You're so completely under their authority, right? And so Paul reminds parents, but especially fathers, Don't pick on your kid. Don't use your authority in such a way that it leaves them feeling bitter and downtrodden, right? All right, so what sort of things could we do that might leave our kid feeling discouraged, feeling bitter? I'm just gonna throw some things out there. There, These are different ways that we could use our authority. You could be, you could overuse your authority. You could become an authoritarian. You're overly hard on your kid. Uh, Make them feel like they never measure up. They never make you happy, right? You take pleasure in cutting them down, maybe, maybe just so that you can feel a little bit better about yourself. You find yourself just saying no, because that's just what you do. No, no, no. It, it could also look like neglecting your authority, like being a pushover who won't set the kind of boundaries that kids need for their own thriving. And so that in the end, they're crushed when they go out into the real world and discover that this world is not set up to accommodate their every whim. It could also look like um, being capricious and and inconsistent with your authority, right? You say one thing and then you do another, or you rarely follow through with your words. It it could look like um, being two-faced in some sense, setting, setting one standard for yourself and then another standard for the family, or here's what we do in our home. This is one standard here, but when we're out in public, this is how we act, right? All right, hey. I think I just nailed all of us, I do. I think we've all failed in these ways and I can name three or four of those ways that I've failed this past week, okay? We're all in the same boat and so as you parent, parent the way the Lord parents you. Think about how he parents you, right? He's firm and yet gentle. He he does have high standards, but he's quick to forgive. He's consistent and he's trustworthy. He's always true to his word. He he allows us to make mistakes and to fail. And he's always there to care for us and and to to care for us in in our failures and to restore us, right? Hey, look, he knows how exasperating you are. And he's not exasperated with you. He's, he's the father of the second, the third, the, the millionth chance, right? He, he's the dad whose heart aches for his rebellious kids. He's the one who welcomes the prodigal home with an open arms and, and a party, right? That's how he parents. That's how you have been loved and moved toward by the king. And out of that, we can parent. Trusting that, hey, and all of my failures, and all my brokennesses, I'm just trying to point my kid to the true parent. Just keep leaning into that. Hey, those are tall orders, right? That's tough. And, and again, we haven't even scratched the surface of this, but, but kids, parents, give the king's ways a shot, right? See if they aren't better than the ways that we're, we're trying to do things ourselves. Lean into his ways and trust. Knowing that everything that our king commands us, he models for us, but also, again, gloriously, he empowers this in us too. Okay? All right, so finally, we're going to look at slaves and masters. Some quick background before we uh, dig into this point. Uh, estimates are that there are about 20 to 30% of the, the population in the Roman Empire at this time uh, were slaves. These were folks who were captured in war or else folks who had to sell themselves or were sold because of, of debt and so forth. All that, all that to say, right, slavery was everywhere. And, and the typical household in, in the Roman Empire included slaves. And to most people, slaves didn't matter. They didn't matter. You know who they mattered to, though? King Jesus. In fact, it, Christianity spread wildfire throughout the Roman Empire but slaves hearing this good news, Christianity spread among slaves not just in the Roman Empire but like in Colossae too, in fact we, we actually know the story of one Colossian slave in particular this, this man named Onesimus that you see mentioned here in chapter 4 verse 9 see he was one of the guys who, who carried this letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae and with it He carried another letter, a letter to his master because he was a runaway slave, his master named Philemon. And you can read all about uh, the story of Philemon and Onesimus in Paul's letter to Philemon here. But hey, uh, I just want to very briefly note five things. Again, they're very brief. Five things that you can apply to your life situation as, uh, as they fit. Here's the first thing out of this passage. King Jesus sees those nobody else sees. King Jesus sees those that nobody else sees. See, not only does Paul address slaves, he actually spends the bulk of this section when he's talking to families. On slaves, in particular, most of the verses are devoted to them, talking to them, reminding them, Jesus sees your labor. He sees you. Your life matters. Friend, do you feel unseen? King Jesus sees those nobody else sees. Second thing, King Jesus dignifies all labor because slaves got the jobs that nobody else wanted, right? The menial tasks. They got the nasty stuff where they, where they washed feet, emptied latrines, those sorts of things. They got the unpleasant jobs. And Paul's saying, King Jesus sees all your labor and he receives it as if, as if you did it for him. That's uh, verse 23. As if you were doing this for him, he takes it. Friend, Are you stuck doing something where you're like, I don't know if this even matters? Give it to Jesus. Your labor matters to him, no matter what you think about it, if you give it to him. King Jesus, he sees those nobody else sees. He dignifies all labor. He uplifts sincerity, right? Hey, how much of the work that we do do we do because we feel like we've got somebody else's eye on us, right? Right? How, how much of our work is kind of a show that we just put on for other people? Do you realize King Jesus isn't in the show business? He, he, he's not about a fancy front. He's not about a performance. He's about what's real, what's true, what, what's authentic. And so Paul encourages slaves, do your work with sincerity, verse, uh, verse 22. Do your work with sincerity. Don't put on a show for other people, especially your masters, your bosses. All right? Fourth thing. King Jesus rewards faithfulness. Hey, I want you to picture, you're a slave, okay? How would these words have sounded to you? Verse 24. How would verse 24 have sounded to you if you were a slave? Let's read it together. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Wait, the king, give me an inheritance? Allotting me a piece of land in his kingdom where he reigns when I don't even own my own body. What kind of king does this? What kind of king does this? A good king who sees every act of his servants and takes them as his own. That's the kind of king who does this. A king who delights to reward his servants. All right, fifth thing. King Jesus knocks over the social ladder. Do y'all see that? Uh, you see how he uplifts slaves and, as heirs, and then he reminds masters in the uh, first verse of chapter 4. He reminds masters, you, aren't, you, you all aren't the top dogs. You aren't the freemen that you think you are. You actually owe your lives to the true master. Because as Paul said earlier in chapter 3, verse 11, in the king's family, there is no Greek, there's no Jew, there's no circumcised, there's no uncircumcised, there's no slave, there's no free. But Christ is all and in all, that same Christ, who though the master of the universe, became the slave to slaves so that he might set people free from every tribe, every, every tongue, every race, to free us from our bondage to sin and make us heirs in his kingdom. Hey friend, I get it. It may take a lot of trust to do life the king's way, especially in your family. But everything that King Jesus commands, again, he models He himself has done this, and he empowers, so you're not left to do it by yourself, because you can't, you can't do this by yourself. But his spirit that he has given to you empowers you to live into his ways, to to be what he has made you to be in the first place, to to model him before your husband or wife, before your, your parent or your kids, and in the place that you work or just in life in general. He empowers you to do this. There is nothing he tells you to do that he himself hasn't first done that he is not gonna enable in you if, if you trust him and lean into his ways. Because the truth that we've seen all through this letter, it also applies to the family, right? This is all, like our families are all about Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus only, Jesus always. And Christian, Don't you want that? Don't you want that for yourself? Don't you want that for your families? Good news is the king wants that for you too. So let's go to him now in prayer. Father in heaven, as we come before you, we just ask, um, Lord, you have modeled, you have saved, now would you empower. We, We look at something like this and we recognize how far short we fall. But Lord, we're not in this alone you have not only delivered us from the failures that we've, that we've committed and the failures that we will commit as wives, as husbands, as parents, as kids, as those who are in the workplace or just living life among others, you've not only forgiven us for those things, you also empower us to be who you made us to be. So would you do that? Breathe your spirit into my sisters and brothers today so that we might better mirror you and and delight in getting to live into your ways in our families. We pray this, Lord, in your good name. Amen.